Good morning, everyone. So glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you today. Uh, been gone the past couple of weeks, family vacation and a little time off. Um, and it's always great to be back with my church family. We are going through the Lord's Prayer as we prayed at the end of our, our morning prayer. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let us read or hear the words, these words again, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When I was in my early 20s, um, I remember being on my own. Actually, my sisters were with me. But the first time I was living kind of on my own in Clear Lake um, for the very first time, it was nine months or so after my mom had passed away. So we didn't have our, our family home. We sold the family home. And we, my sisters and I, just for a summer, we got an apartment together. Um, it was on Medical Center Boulevard, kind of by Bay Area Presbyterian Church, this nice wooded apartment complex. Um, and I, I just remember um, feeling kind of vulnerable. It was the first time um, living, not on a college campus, um, by yourself, by myself. And um, every once in a while, being freaked out about it. And I'd be in in bed at night, and I'd think, man, did I lock the door? Um, And I knew I locked the door. But I I was so compelled. I had to get up just to make sure that the house was secure or that the apartment was secure. I'd get up. I'd go to the front door. Sure enough, yeah, I had locked it. So you lock it. You walk away. Wait, wait, did I, you know... Did, I, did, I, did it latch, you know, and I go back over there and make sure that it latched. Have you ever kind of had that irrational behavior, almost OCD-type behavior? Um, and, and maybe, like I said, it was because I was feeling vulnerable. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure that I had done everything that I could to be safe, to make our house secure. Double-check things. Um, we're getting close to the end of the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at these different phrases and requests. And what we're going to talk about today, I think, is one of the more confusing parts of the Lord, Lord's Prayer, where we're not quite sure what we're asking for when we, when we ask God, lead us not into temptation. Um, deliver us from the evil one. I mean... Lead us not to temptation. Do we really think that God would lead us into into sin? I mean, what is it that we're actually praying for? Or deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Do we think that danger is all about us? And we have to do everything we can to make sure that we're secure, that that we've got a, you know, that we've got to fear an airplane coming crashing down on our house and, and flattening it, you know? Um Do we feel like we have to do everything possible to make our life secure? So we have this catch-all end to this prayer, like, God, I don't 
quite know what I'm praying for, but I just don't want an airplane to come crashing down on my house. So deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil. And what, what are we actually praying for? Um, you know, I better double-check my locks because evil is lurking all around, all about me. What, what are we praying for with these last two phrases? Um, well, I hope that as we look at these, we're going to be inspired with confidence and, and not given to fear. So I want to look at what this part of the Lord's Prayer is not first, and then we'll get to what it is. So um, what this part of the Lord's Prayer is not, it's not a prayer that we will never go through trials. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble will happen. One of the ways that God grows us is through difficulties. It's through tests. We need to know that when God has us go through difficulties and tests, uh, it's never in some mean-spirited way. It's not that God is checking out. He's, he's um, being a little reckless with our lives, um, that he's kind of forgotten about us. We need to know that when we go through trials. It's not God. God's not getting care, careless or reckless. The word temptation in that prayer um, actually can be translated in a couple of ways. It can be translated as, as a test, um, and we often think of tests as having some redemptive quality to it. You may be studying for a really hard test, and you may hate studying for it and have hours and hours of preparation, but you know that there's some redemption going on. You, you learn something, or maybe... You've run in a marathon, and it can be grueling, and, and you can be in a lot of pain running through. But you know, there's this redemptive ending at the end as you as you finish this finish this test. We can use it in a kind of a redemptive way, but that word can also be translated as it is here as temptation, um, like someone setting a trap for you. Is that what God does? No, it's not what God does. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we can know that when we're going through a test, it's not God um, trying to trap us. You know, whether it's a health issue, whether it's financial difficulties, um, maybe you got laid off on your job, uh, maybe things are breaking down at your house over and over again. You have those house repairs that come up one after another. Your car's breaking down. Um, it's not because God is playing too loose with your life, getting sloppy, and God's not trying to trap you. Jesus says there's just going to be trouble in life. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. It means that Jesus is king. He has overcome. It means he's defeated sin and evil. He's, he's like the king protecting his kingdom. He's the, the chief warrior. Jesus is in ultimate control. He's defeated our enemies. And any trial we go through, no matter how difficult it is, God will use it to grow our faith and grow our character. Look at First um, Peter chapter one verses six and seven. Thou know for a little time, or for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that 
And I underlined and bolded that so that, because it's a really important word in that, in that phrase, and, and the word there, it's a, it's a hint of closet, and, and it's, it's there to just show um, a strong connection between what has taken place so that what will happen is going to happen. It's, it's a, just a very strong connection word. These trials have come so that, in order that, the proven genuous of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So when we pray, lead us not to temptation, lead us not to the test. What we're not praying is that we wouldn't have any trials in life whatsoever because God can use those. And this prayer, another thing that it's not, it's not a prayer that God would win a tug of war with Satan. So the flip side of, of, of this is that, um, you know, we're just we're worried that the world is out of control and we feel like we're in this tug of war between good and evil. And that actually is one of the, the, the main worldviews throughout human history. It's not a Christian view. But one of the main worldviews throughout human history is that the world is, is, is caught in the struggle between good and evil. There's yin and yang. There's, there's good gods and there's bad gods. And someone's going to win this tug of war. And we're caught in the middle of it. That is not the Christian worldview. Uh, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I am the victor. And when it comes to a contest between God and Satan, it's not even a close contest. I like what Romans chapter 16, verse 20 gives us as a promise. It says, the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, under your feet, and not under his feet, under your feet. It's not even a close contest between God and Satan. So we don't need to be afraid, afraid of Satan. We'll take him seriously, yes, but, but be afraid, no, no. So this prayer is not some catch-all, oh, everything's going wrong, I better just double-check the locks, I've got to pray something, deliver us from evil. It's not this Hail Mary prayer, hoping that it'll be enough to, to keep us out of harm's way as we're caught up in this tug of war. No, 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 no. God's in complete control. So if that isn't what the Lord's Prayer, this phrase of the Lord's Prayer is, what is it? I think it's this. I think ultimately it is a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of humility. It's coming before God and saying, God, I'm, I'm going to be really humble with you right now because I'm, I'm fragile. I know that I'm fragile. I know that I'm weak on my own. I'm weak. And we don't like admit, admitting that about ourselves, that on our own we are weak. But I think unless you've been shaken by life a little bit, the, the natural tendency is to think, gosh, I got it all together. I can do this on my own. I, I, I don't need God, really. I, I don't need extra strength from him. I, I don't need his guidance. I can do this on my own. I think of the disciples when they are um, on the Mount of Olives with Jesus. Jesus goes to pray right before he's, he's arrested goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. But what does he ask his disciples to do? He says, will you please stay awake with me? I think Jesus is just asking for companionship from his disciples. And Jesus 
goes to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, just praying his guts out to his heavenly Father. And then he comes back, but what does he see the disciples doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. They couldn't stay awake. And Jesus tells them the, the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And when we say that we're weak, we're not saying that we're muscularly weak, but rather on our own, we cannot stay out of trouble. On our own, we cannot stay out of trouble. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of, one of the historic documents we look to to help us to understand the Scriptures, puts this part of the Lord's Prayer like this. It says that when we're praying, lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil, we are saying that by ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, they never stop attacking us. So by ourselves, we cannot hold our own even for a moment. And that's what this this part of the prayer is, just coming before God and saying, God, I'm humble before you, and I need you. I need you right now. So to pray this right, you have to come before God in complete humility. And say, on my own, God, I cannot stand up to temptation, this onslaught of temptation, the, the world, the flesh, the devil. I need your ways to come into my life. Your ways, Lord. And so I want to go over um, this, this memory tool that I find really helpful as I'm making the Lord's Prayer to you know, put in my own language, my own prayer request to it. And when I'm walking in the morning, I often just kind of think through this little memory tool, and it it helps me to think through what I need to pray for. And we've been going through this every Sunday, adding to it as we've gone through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We begin focusing our prayer on God's name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We we praise God for the beauty of his name, for for his, his love, his faithfulness. He's a glorious God. We praise God for his name, God's name, God's place. We remember where God is placed. He's placed on the throne of heaven. He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. He is king. He he reigns. He rules. So everything that I ask God for, I know he can do this for me. He can deliver because he's the king. God's name, God's place. And then I focus on God's gifts. Um, give us today our daily bread. Focus on, his, on God's gifts. Um, what, do, what do I need, Lord? And here's what I need. Just tell God your needs. And then God's grace. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God's name, God's place, God's gifts, God's grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and forgiving me of my sins. And now I want to commit myself to, to showing your grace to others and forgiving others their sins against me. And now, finally, God's ways. God's name, God's place, God's gifts, God's grace, God's ways. And I just kind of walk, and I think through these different phrases and, and pray for God's ways in this, this last point. God, help me be true to your ways. I want your ways to come to me, Lord. 
One more week, we'll add to that list one more time next week. Um, all right, students, I want to dismiss y'all with your leaders to go discuss the, the rest of uh, this topic on the Lord's Prayer. And what I want to do now is I want to talk about two ways that we want God's ways to come into our life, two primary ways. Um, one is this that God would help us to follow his commands. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we pray that we will follow God's ways. And one of the helpful metaphors, I think, for the commands of God is guardrails. Uh, you might have heard that metaphor before for God's commandments. They're guardrails. Think about driving on a curvy mountain road. Maybe you're pulling a pull-behind camper on the back of your truck and it's precarious, and if you get a little sloppy, you might fall over. But hopefully there's some guardrails that will help keep you on that that curvy road, and that's God's commands. They're they're like guardrails for us. They keep us from falling over the cliff. I think it's a pretty helpful metaphor. Um, So it makes no sense to pray this prayer and then... Just kind of live however you want to, right? You're just giving lip service to it if we're, if we're not focusing on trying to be faithful to God's commands. Um, and we, we don't want to expect that God's just going to take whatever consequences there are for our, our sinful actions and just sweep them under the rug. Like, we can't act like a bull in a china shop and just smash the heck out of everything around us through sloppy living ignoring God's commands and be like, okay, God, we just kind of take care of that mess. It's a, it's a disaster in there. Get a big room and a big dustpan and take care of all that. We, can't ex- we, we don't want to put that on God, that demand on God. Um, God will redeem difficult consequences of sinful actions. He will redeem them. He will use those for our good. But generally, God just doesn't sweep them under the rug and we can just kind of move on like nothing ever happened. And here's another thing that doesn't make sense. If, if we pray, um, lead us not into temptation, but then deliberately, intentionally put ourselves in temptation. That's another thing that doesn't make sense. Um, yesterday I did something really dangerous. I went out and bought a box of a dozen donuts. And there's four of us at the house and one of them is nine years old, and another one can show great restraint, and that's not me. And so they had like one donut each, and then my son Ryan probably had three, and that left all the rest for me. I I probably ate six donuts yesterday, just going by that box and eating another donut, eating another donut. Uh, That is one place or I can sh- not show restraint. I mean, I see a donut maybe three days old, and I'm popping it in the microwave and saying, yeah, it's still good. That's... No, I can't resist them. I can't resist them. Uh, you can't pray, lead us not into temptation, and then put yourself right in front of the box of a dozen donuts. If you're, if you're me, you can't do that. Um, so I think we can, we can unintentionally trivialize the Lord's, this part of the Lord's Prayer. 
by just treating it as this little, this catch-all at the end, you know, but not really thinking through, okay, I need to not put myself in temptation. I pray that to God, but I need to do my part. Um, And we trivialize it as well by treating sin kind of like it's not a big deal. Um, And it is. I like like what Hayden Robinson, that old pastor, said about this part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, He put it like this. This part of the Lord's Prayer is not praying, Lord, keep us from being naughty little girls and boys. Um, This is a prayer that God would protect us from the devil that seeks to destroy our lives. So we pray for us to be obedient to God's commands so we can walk in God's ways. And the other way that we're asking for God's ways to come into our life is this, uh, that we would receive God's ways of shalom. And shalom is that beautiful word that the ancient Hebrew people have given to us um, to communicate God's security, God's peace, God's provision, safety, um, well-being, prosperity, um, that, that life is good, that life is joyful, or using that more common word, happy, that, that, that there's happiness in life. That's shalom. And it is true that God has us go through a trial every once in a while to grow us, but when God has us go through trials, that's not his end for us. It's, you know, it's not like God l- looks down on Greg and says, well, he hasn't been through a trial in a while. It's, it's due time for Greg to go through a trial because I like trials for my people. That's not what God does. God's norm for us is life, not death. It's shalom, not chaos. You can watch the news all you want, see all kinds of crazy things happening, and think, well, this world is just kind of going down the toilet. You know what? I, I choose to believe what God says of life and the world and not what the news says. And so I focus on the promises of God. I focus on Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy, your goodness and mercy, Lord, will follow me all the days of my life. Or John 10, verse 10, when Jesus says, The thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come for a different reason, Jesus says. I have come that you may have a full life, abundant life. Or Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may stay for the night, but guess what's coming in the morning? Rejoicing is coming in the morning. This is what God says, life, it's his plan for life. It's his intent for life. It's goodness for us. And we're just asking God, may your ways of shalom come to, come to me. So I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning for you to think through. I want to ask you, is there temptation that you're putting yourself in? What is, what is your box of donuts? When we think of temptation, we often think of the, the appetite that we're filling. And it can be that. It could be, it could be the donuts. Um, it, could be the alcohol. Could be the, you know, the risque programming on TV, or, or, or you know, the Forty Shades of whatever. You know, it could be that. It could be some appetite that you're trying to fill. Um, but it may be another kind of temptation. You could be tempted um, to 
always try to be making a name for yourself and looking good in front of others. I mean, that could be it. Or the temptation to prove that you are always right by having the final word. Maybe that's your temptation. It doesn't have to be this kind of this, oh, I've got to feed my appetite temptation. Maybe it's one of these more subtle ones. What is your temptation? And also, second question, do you need to be reminded of God's commitment to doing good in your life? Because sometimes you can think, well, this bad thing happened, this other bad thing happened. I'm just, I'm just a bad thing machine. You know, I'm just, I'm ready for the third shoe to drop. I'm, I'm just a magnet for this bad stuff to happen. Well, do you need to be reminded of God's commitment to doing good to you? As you face temptation, as you resist temptation, as you say, I'm not going to bring home the box of donuts or whatever. And as you think through God's desire for life for you, I want you to remember one thing, kind of a final point, um, that you have the stronger man on your side. Uh, The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this parable that Jesus tells people to kind of show his relationship with, with Satan. Because the Jewish religious leaders were accusing Jesus of being in partnership with the devil. They had seen him um, do too many miracles. And they reasoned, well, clearly this guy can't be on God's side, so that must mean that he's on the dark side. And they accused Jesus of being on Satan's side. And then Jesus said that very memorable line that Abraham Lincoln loved. He said, a kingdom... By a divided uh, cannot stand, right? A kingdom divided cannot stand by itself, cannot stand. And then Jesus told this parable. And I want to read a couple of places where we see this parable about the strong man. Uh, Gospel of Mark, here's the parable. Jesus says, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then he can plunder the strong man's house. Luke says, Gospel of Luke says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Now what's Jesus talking about? If you're not paying attention... You can hear that and think, oh, that poor strong man. Satan comes and ties him up and plunders all of his stuff, that poor strong man. But you've got to pay attention. Because <laughs> that's not it, is it? Satan isn't the stronger man. Who's Satan in the parable? Satan's the homeowner. Satan's the Satan's sitting on his easy chair. He's watching football. He's watching the ball game. And a stronger man comes and breaks down his door. The stronger man rushes in, overpowers Satan, ties him up, and steals all of his stuff. Who's the stronger man? 
Jesus is the stronger man. Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is busting down Satan's door and showing who's boss. And you may be going through a trial right now. And it's testing you, and you don't know if you're going to make it through. I want you to remember, you have the stronger man on your side. And you may be fighting against temptation right now, and you're trying to be faithful to God's commands and resist. You don't know if you can do it. I want you to know the stronger man is on your side. And you may, be, may feel like Satan is this, he's the, the prowling lion ready to devour you. Do not be afraid because a stronger man is on your side. Is Jesus who defeated Satan by going to the cross and laying down his life and being victorious over evil. And then he says, I'm going to live inside of you. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you that you're so good to us, that we have the power of Christ living in us, the life of Jesus. May it give us um, calm assurance when we are afraid, when we are facing difficulties, remember that. Help us to remember that the stronger man, Jesus, lives in us. And we pray, Lord, for your life. We pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy, your good ways to come to us because we alone We can't do this by ourselves. We can't. But through you and your spirit and your power, we can do all things through our Savior who gives us strength. In Jesus' name, amen.